Welcome to Brotherly Pod. It is Wednesday, March 24th, 2021. Almost the end of March, Anthony. That's uh, hard to believe. It's hard to believe that um, the Flyers lost again oh. and we're still here talking about them. I don't want to talk about the Flyers. Well, we may just skip <laughs> that segment entirely later today. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. But, um, but instead of talking about the Flyers, we're going to talk about a good hockey team. How about that? We got uh, Dane Mizutani from the Pioneer Press joining us today to talk to the Minnesota Wild. Dane, how are you doing? Doing well, guys. How are you doing? Doing, doing pretty good. Uh, the Wild, 19-10-1, currently third in the West. It, it seems like they more or less came out of nowhere this year. Was this uh, expected of them to start the season? I would say no. So I, I picked them to miss the playoffs completely, which I could not have been more wrong about. Like, I didn't, I just didn't think they were going to be very good. Like, I did not think Kirill Kaprizov was going to be this good. I didn't think their goaltending was going to be this good. I thought their lack of center depth was going to just crush this team. But I was wrong. Like, to say they came out of nowhere, like, for me, like, yeah, I think they did. For some people, I think the Wild were a team that was maybe going to be, you know, a little bit of a contender in the new Honda West. Uh, but I think we can all agree we didn't expect them to be one of the best teams in, in, in the Honda West, which they've proven to be. Like, I know they got beat down by the Avalanche this, over the weekend, but other than that, they've been pretty good this year. It seems like their goaltending, as you just mentioned, is one of the driving forces into the team's resurgence, led by Kapo Kakinen. I hope I'm not butchering the pronunciation of that name, who's giving his teammate Kirill Kaprizov a run for his money for the Calder votes. Has one of Kakinen or Talbot emerged as the starter? You, you nailed the name, by the way. So very impressive. <laughs> Perfect. Um, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, Kapo Kakinen has emerged as the starter, in my opinion, in a lot of the beat writers' opinions, in certainly the fan base's opinion, just because he's been so lights out. Like, like you said, if Kirill Kaprizov wasn't running away with the Calder Trophy right now, Kakinen would be someone who people were talking about as like, wow, this goalie kind of came out of nowhere, could win it. But the thing is, so he's played so well, the Wild are still operating under a, you know, kind of let's play both guys. And I think that works this year. Um, Cam Talbot's been really good, too. Kakinen has just been hands down better. And I think if it was something like, when the playoffs roll around, you got to commit to one guy. I think that's just the way things go. You want to ride one guy. You want to make sure they're feeling good about themselves. But in a 56-game condensed schedule where you're playing every other night and like sometimes like four games and six nights, I don't think it's bad to have you know, like a 1-1-A. One, one so right now, like no. Like no one is the quote-unquote number one starting goaltender. But I think the fact that you – don't have a quote-unquote starting goaltender speaks to how good Kapokakinen has been. Because this offseason, Cam Talbot was unquestionably the, the starting goaltender. That's what Bill Guerin said when he signed him. He said, Cam's the number one. We're riding with Cam. Um, I wouldn't sign Cam if I didn't expect him to be the starter. And all of a sudden now, it's like, well, we like both guys. So I think that's, that speaks more to how good the rookie has been. Um, but right now, no. No starter. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. They can roll with either guy on any night and feel good about it. Um, and it's certainly worked out so far for the Wild. 
Well, you mentioned Kaprizov, their fifth-round pick in 2015, came out of North America this year. Ten goals, 25 points in 30 games. Doesn't seem like a game goes by where there is not some kind of highlight uh, circulating social media of the kid. I mean, he is just, is he is he leading the Minnesota Wild resurgence right now? 100%, yeah. And I think, I've talked about this with a lot of people, like, we can just go ahead and call him the best player on the team. Like, we don't have to you know, beat around the bush because he's a rookie. Like, is he really, you know, is he really this good? Like, yes, he's really this good. And he was this good in Russia. And, you know, I think it's okay to embrace the fact that this guy is a superstar. And, you know, maybe not superstar yet, but certainly a superstar down the road. But some of the things he does on a nightly basis are just eye-popping. And that's something the Wild haven't had since Marion Gaverick back in like the mid 2000s. And even some of the things Kirill Kaprizov does kind of defy logic in a way that Marion Gaverick could not. So he's certainly really leading the resurgence. I think he's making everyone around him better as well. Not just by getting them to puck, but like getting them to be okay to try certain things. I think there's like something with the confidence level. When you see a guy do something like that and it works, like a lot of these, like these guys are good. Like these guys are in the NHL that like they can make plays in ways that I think Kirill Kaprizov makes them want to do that too. Like they watch him and they say like, wow, like why, why don't we try that? And I think that creativity is something the Wild have lacked a lot in the, you know, five years I've been covering them, but in the 10 years I've been living in Minnesota following them, they've just been boring. And for the first time in a really long time, they're not. You know, aside from Kaprizov, it seems like Joel Eriksson-Eck has finally hit his stride. The points aren't coming in bunches like with Kaprizov, but it seems like Eriksson-Eck is one of the driving forces of this team, leads the team in expected goals, leads the team in on-ice expected goals differential. How good has he been for them, and why isn't he talked enough about when people talk about the Wild? I think because he's so soft-spoken. Um, he doesn't say a lot. And, and if you talk to Joel Eriksson-Eck, it's kind of funny to, to like talk to him and realize how soft-spoken he is, but then watch him and watch how he can just piss off like anybody who he's playing against. Like you look at a scrum in the middle of a game, and Julian Eriksson-Eck is always in the middle of it, and it's kind of funny because if you talk to him, you're like, how could this guy make other people so mad? Like he doesn't say anything, but the way he has played this year, like you talked about his expected goals and his offense, and, and that production has been. I think a pleasant surprise for the Wild. This guy is not someone who has scored goals in the pack. It's not someone who's been, you know, an offensive contributor, really. He's really been someone who, throughout his career, has developed into a pretty good defensive center. And I think this year has really taken the next step and become one of the better defensive centers in the league. And someone we don't really talk about. But then if you couple that with the fact that he's producing the way he is on the offensive end, yeah, like you said, he he has been another driving force and someone who, like an unsung hero of the Wild because outside of Minnesota, I guess outside of the Midwest, like and not a lot of people are talking about Jules Eriksson. Uh, this is a guy who I think down the road could be a perennial contender for the Selkie once people start to realize who the heck this guy is. He's, he's really good and a, a large reason the Wild are playing as well as they are right now. Do you think the improved play of the team – could lead to a bigger free agency this summer going for a big, uh, a big fish considering they do have some money coming off the books this year. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think a lot of that, you know, they're, they're attractive right now because of Kroger I think if you're deciding as, a, as like a big fish free agent, who do I want to play with? Like that kid has to rank near the top of the league right now. He's 23 and extremely exciting. Like you said, highlight real plays every night. I also think Bill Guerin, like, he's kind of changed the culture. I think the culture in Minnesota for a long time was, you know, it was Zach Peruzzi, Ryan Suter, kind of the old guy, the old guard way. And Bill Guerin's come in over the last year and a half, two years, and really just kind of tore that down. Um, the Wild are a completely different team now than they were. You know, I talked about how they look different. They're more exciting. They're also just kind of, they, they feel different in the way that things run as, as a team, as a collective. And I think that's another thing that makes them attractive is like they're finally fun, but they're also different in in terms of like how I guess leadership is perceived. I think Bill Guerin's done a really good job, you know, kind of 
tearing down the old way and, and saying like this is how we're going to do things now. And I think that has to that that sense of accountability like has to kind of attract a free agent. But yeah, you mentioned the money that comes with Kaprizov too. But I, I could see them being players. I mean, in in free agency, I, I certainly so. And, you know, we'll see how they continue to. I think a lot of it's going to hinge on also how they perform the rest of the season too. Um, but yeah, right now, if, if they continue to play as well as they have with the talent they have, you know, in the pipeline, why not come to Minnesota? Could you set, shed some light on what happened with Paul Fenton? Yeah, so Paul Fenton just kind of rubbed his, everyone the wrong way. Like, I, I mean, there's no other way to put it. Like, I think <laughs> the way he did things, you know, everything he did in the job, like, rubbed people the wrong way. And I think that went from the, some of the trades he made that were pretty questionable. Now, I'll get into that later. Like, some of the moves he made that he got hated on for making – have worked out incredibly well for the wild, but it, it went beyond like these questionable trades or some of these trades that he made. Like he just wasn't extremely personable. I think he had like a my way or the highway mentality. And I don't know, like it's so cliche in hockey, but like the family dynamic and like, especially with the wild, like that's how like, they wanted to run their organization and like him as the figurehead of the organization in the way he was running the team you know, the management, the front office, all of that, it just rubbed not just, like, players the wrong way, but I think it rubbed certain other people in the front office the wrong way. And I think Craig Leopold just kind of saw that, like, this is not the culture I want in place. I got to make a move. And I guess credit to him, like, credit to owner Craig Leopold for saying, like, look, I messed up. And 11 months later, just being like, Let's cut ties. There's no reason to continue to compound this mistake by moving forward with it. If I'm pretty confident it's not going to work. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, he just, he wasn't, like, a personable guy. But I do think we need to, like, retroactively go back and give Paul Paul Fenton some credit because, look, what you look at the team right now, like, Chuck Fletcher was the reason for Kirill Kaprizov. But the other, you know, star in the making, if you will, or, you know, offensive not in the making is Kevin Fiala. And that's a guy, Paul Fenton basically put all the eggs into the Kevin Fiala basket and said, he's going to be a green breaker in this league. I remember him from my time with the national predators. And I believe in Kevin Fiala. And a lot of people were saying, you know, if you look back to that trade, they traded Mikhail Granlin, who was a fan favorite in Minnesota for Kevin Fiala straight up. Granlin was a proven player. Fiala was not. People hated that trade. Um, you know, fast forward two years, Fiala is hands down a better player than, than Mikhail Graham. So Paul Fenton gets credit there. You look at the head coach who's running the whole thing. Like Dean Emerson is a large reason the Wild are playing as well as they have, and he's a large reason for that culture shift I talked about. Paul Fenton, that was Paul Fenton's guy. That was Paul Fenton's right-hand man in Nashville when they were both. When Paul Fenton was the assistant general manager in Nashville, Dean Emerson was the coach of the Milwaukee Admirals in the AHL. So they worked together. When Paul came here, he wanted Dean to come with him, brought him on in the staff, basically as the coach in waiting, even though no one would say it, everyone knew. Like, when Bruce Boudreaux's done, when his time comes to a close, Dean Everson's taken over. That's what's happened. That was Paul Fenton's vision all along, I think. And that's another thing that's worked out for the Wild. So, yes, he certainly rubbed people the wrong way and, and kind of wore his way out of town. But, but he knew what the heck he was doing, I think, at least partially. And, and the Wild are kind of reaping some of the, the rewards um, that Paul Fenton kind of put in place, you know, two or three years ago. Now, you mentioned Chuck Fletcher. You know, all eyes are on him in Philadelphia these days. What was his tenure like through the later parts of his career in Minnesota? I think it was frustration. I, I, I think everyone liked Chuck. And I think Chuck, like, we want to talk about Paul Fenton rubbing people the wrong way. Chuck was the antithesis of that. Like, Chuck was just the nicest guy and really, really, you know, cared about, like, winning and the on-the-ice product, but also just cared about human beings and individuals off the ice. And I think that's something that can't be overstated in hockey. But it started to plateau. It started to stagnate here. Zach Friesen, Ryan Seager signing back in 2012 was like a Stanley Cup or bust move and everyone celebrated it. Everyone wanted that. And it was like, we talked about big fish free agents earlier in 
the segment, like those two were the big fish free agents in 2012. So when Chuck Fletcher brings them in and they, they, they become a playoff team again, which is something the wild were not before those signings, but they never showed that they were a Stanley cup contender. It was always, lose the Chicago Blackhawks in the first round or bow out to the St. Louis Blues in the first round or, wow, we made it to the second round. Let's lose in a five-game series. Like, it, <laughs> they never looked like a like a contender. And that was when it started to be like, okay, maybe things need to change here. Um, and, and you see it all the time with hockey. I think, like, eventually, like, people's voices just get kind of stale and dull. And I think they just needed it to go in a new direction and, Chuck was kind of, you know, obviously at the forefront of that because he was the one making all these, all the personnel decisions. But yeah, like Chuck Fletcher was like a very well-respected person when he was in the Twin Cities. I just think, you know, at some point you got to produce a winner and and he proved that he couldn't really get them over the hump. So just a change had to be made. One of the lasting memories of Chuck Fletcher in Minnesota is how he handled the expansion draft. And he gave up Eric Howla and Alex Tuck to keep that defensive core intact with protecting Dumba and Brodine and Spurgeon. How has that approach to the expansion draft affected the Minnesota Wild for better or for worse? Yeah, I think it's something where if you could go back, you would just kind of be like, like we're going to lose a good player. Let's not lose two good players. So I think it's a regret because Alex Tuck is doing big things with the Golden Knights. It's especially, it's like what the wild kind of foresaw in him. Like he can be this power forward. that can play top six minutes. Did we really need to give him up? So the wild would, you know, so the Golden Knights would take an Eric Hollow. Like, no, I think the wild should have just been content knowing they're going to lose a good player. I think that's what, the, what Bill Guerin, the approach he'll take this year with the Seattle expansion I don't think anyone's making trades. And I don't think it's just a while. I don't think people are going to make the same mistake twice. I don't think GMs across the league are going to be like, please take this guy. Here's another good player on top of that because we really want to keep this guy. Um, But in a roundabout way, like if you still want to give Chuck Fletcher a semblance of credit for that, like you can because the strength of the Minnesota Wild right now is still their blue line. We talked about their goaltending. And that's been spectacular. But a lot of the reason that goaltending is, is good is because the, the defense is so good in front of the goaltender. And the wild blue line has consistently been their strength over the last five, six, seven years. And I think a big reason it still is their strength is because they got to keep Dumba. They got to keep Brodeen. You know, they got to keep Spurgeon. And obviously Suter was on his no move, so he wasn't going anywhere. So, Look, I think if he could go back and in a race that he would, he would say, okay, we're going to lose a good player. Let's just lose a good player. Um, but I think there is still something to be said about the fact that the goal was to keep that blue line intact because they were so strong. And they, they're continuing to be strong and continuing to be a driving force for this team. So it wasn't all bad. But I think if you see how that move played out and you see how the various other moves across the league played out, Bill Guerin is not going to be trading an asset to convince Seattle to take a specific player. It's just going to be, you know, this stinks. We're going to lose a good player. Everyone's going to lose a good player. So let's deal with that and move on. One of the contracts we didn't talk about yet is uh, Caprice of all people. You know, he'll see is up. What do you think his next deal is going to look like? Uh, that's so hard to say right now because, like, I think you want to lock him up long-term like I think that's there, there's no question I I struggle to figure out what the money looks like because I I think the negotiations are going to be they're obviously going to be tense because like they always are with these super long-term like kind of super contracts but like if you want to kind of get down into the nitty-gritty of it has he proven that he has superstar potential yes but he's also like it's been 25 games you know like I don't know how much his agent is going to be able to say like, Hey, Bill Guerin, like, look, let's, let's, let's lock up this eight year deal right now because you know the sample size is still going to be small. Now at the end of the day, Bill Guerin's going to do whatever it takes to, to get Kirill Kaprizov under contract. And I think he will take a long contract. He'll, he'll take more of a long contract approach. 
is that six years? Is that eight years? I don't know. Is that $8 million AAV? Is that $10 million AAV? I don't think it's 10, but like eight wouldn't surprise me. Like I think right now, regardless of how tense the contract negotiations get, if you're Bill Guerin at the end of the day, and look, he has to do his job. He has to negotiate. But I don't want to piss this guy off, and I don't want to piss off his representative. I'm not saying give him whatever he wants because you have to kind of go back and forth a little bit. But you have to also realize, like, this guy is our future. He's our franchise. So you got to lock him up by any means necessary. So I don't know what the, what the numbers are going to look like, but those conversations, I, I believe they're going to be starting to be had in, in the coming days, coming weeks. Um, but we're going to – Kirill Caprizon is going to be on the wild long trip. I can say that that much. Speaking of big contracts, it seemed that at one point the Wild were poised to move Zach Parise for Andrew Ladd, but it ultimately fell through at the 11th hour on the trade deadline. Was there any truth to that? And if there was, what was the factor that ultimately made it fall through? I think there was truth to it. I think at the end of the day, a lot of that came with, like, do I want to take back Andrew Ladd's big contract? Um considering like Andrew Ladd would have been kind of like a nothing player on the wild moving forward. And you would have still had, you know, I don't know what he's making. I think six, $7 million a year, maybe it's five or $6 million a year, like as a cap hit. So are you willing to take basically that dead weight in exchange for Zach Parisi, who last year was still a respectable player in the league. And I'm not saying Zach stinks now, but Zach has not been very good this year. So I think at the end of the day, when Bill Guerin's trying to figure out like, is this a move I want to do? Obviously, it's a franchise-altering move because as much as it might not be Zach Parise's team anymore because Kirill Kaprizov has kind of started to round into form and, and taken that next step, like he's still the most recognizable player on the team. Like If you're a casual hockey fan and you think of the Minnesota Wild, I think you immediately think Zach Parise. You immediately think Ryan Cedar. So I think when it gets to the 11th hour, are we going to make this trade? a lot of it comes down to like, am I still getting enough value back for a guy who still has a lot of value? I don't think it was necessarily like, let's get his contract off the books. Let's get him out of town. And I think when, when we started to grasp that straw, that's what you saw um, kind of make this deal fall through, but it was, it was real. I mean, it, it was, and I think Zach was down because Zach loves Lou Lamarillo and Lou Lamarillo loves Zach. Now, are, are we going to see them revisit that this year? I don't know, because Zach Breezy is not the same player he was last year. But last year it was real, and I, I want to say, like, if Bill Guerin could go back and, and do undo that, and I guess not undo because he didn't do it, but, like, pull the trigger on that trade, I think he would, because I think we're starting to see, like, Zach still has four years left on his contract after this year. That's going to be a problem at some point. I, I don't think he's going to be an impact player by any means by the end of that contract. And I think he's going to have to play it out. And I think he's going to be making $7 million and change AAV moving forward. That's going to cap strap the team, regardless of if, if the cap goes back up post-pandemic. Um, so I think if he could go back and do the trade, he would. He can't. So we'll have to see what happens moving forward. But yeah, to answer your question, that trade was real. And, and I think there was definitely some truth to it. What has Jared Spurgeon been to the team? There's this trade rumors at the end of last year when this deal was up, signed a seven-year contract and got the C in the offseason. So he clearly uh, still means a lot to the Wild Blue Line. Yeah, he's he's definitely someone. Like, I think we talk about that culture shift. Like, giving Spurgeon the C was, like, a big part of that. Like, it signified change. And I don't necessarily think it was, like, a like a slap in the face to Zach Breeze and Ryan Seeger that they didn't get to see, but I think it was a statement from Bill Guerin saying like, this is, we're going in kind of a new direction. And Jared Spurgeon is someone who was like criminally underrated for a, a long part of his career because he's small. He doesn't put up you know, 15 goals a year on the blue line. He does all these little things, but Jared Spurgeon is like one of the best defensemen in the league. And I think we can say that now. I think, I don't think we have to, run from that fact because he doesn't do the, the most dynamic things on the blue line. That guy is a tremendous player on the blue line. 
you know, he has offensive potential the other way. He, he's so sound in his, in his own zone, like defensively. But you look at the leadership qualities that he brings forth too, and I think that's where he's most important for the Wild. He's not the loudest guy. Certainly not. He's actually one of the quieter guys on the team. But he's someone who, if you look at his rise to where he got, like you can point at Jared Spurgeon and say, like, that's how you do things. Like that is the that's the way we want our franchise to be run. That's the way we want our players to kind of look at their careers. Jared Spurgeon was a tryout guy, you know, back in you know he he wasn't a draft pick. He was, I think he was by the the Islanders let him go. His career was almost over. He signed like a a tryout with the Wild in a in a training camp in a development camp, and like you know impressed enough to sign a contract. Worked his way up from the gutter, basically, and then kind of, you know, turned into this marquee defenseman on the team. So I think that's why, you know, he, he became the guy that Paul, or excuse me, not Paul Fenton, that Bill Karen looked at as, you know, I want, he's captain material. He's someone who I want to be the face of our franchise. And he hasn't had the best season, at least offensively. He's been robbed of a lot of goals, but he still continues to be. You know, a lockdown presence in his own zone and an incredible leader in the locker room. I think if, if Jared Spurgeon's the face of your franchise, you're doing something right. Sticking on the blue line, another name that has been the subject of trade rumors for a couple seasons is Matt Dumba. What do you think ultimately becomes of that situation? That's hard because I think we talked about the expansion draft. I think if you just do the math on the wild and like who they have, under like no move like clauses and who you're going to have to protect because of those. And then who you're going to want to protect elsewhere. Like Matt Dumba is someone that might be exposed. Matt Dumba is also someone who his contract is going to run up in a couple of years here. And he's going to want to raise, like he's making six ish a year. He's going to want more than that. And he's proven to be like an extremely dynamic player on the blue line. So if you're worried about losing Matt Dumba for nothing in the expansion, or if you're worried about losing Matt Dumba for nothing in free agency, I think you start to like play with trade rumors or really entertain trade talks. If you're Bill Guerin, but then I, I like, I just think like when you look at why the trade hasn't happened yet, it's because Bill Guerin hasn't gotten a big enough haul. He's not going to give Matt Dumba away for free. So, or for pennies on the dollar, Matt Dumba is still, I would argue the most explosive player on that blue line. And he's been out for two or three games now. And, and you've really seen that the wild missed that presence. And it goes beyond his, his explosiveness on the blue line. He's an energy guy in the locker room. He's a huge part of this team. But if you look at just kind of the roster as a whole, there is a chance he could get traded. And I think he knows that. I think he's gotten better at accepting the fact is going to probably be on the block. Um, it's kind of funny because you look at this offseason, the Wild gave Jonas Brody a big contract, and with that big contract, also a no-move clause. And Matt Dumba and Jonas Brody are best of friends. Like, they, they're so close off, on the ice and off the ice. So on one hand, if you're Matt Dumba, you're thinking, like, that's awesome. My buddy Jonas got a huge, you know, change-your-life contract with a lot of security, but at the same time, you have to be thinking in the back of your head, like, what does that mean for me? Because if Jonas Brodin has a no move and the wild are going to protect, you know, seven forwards and three defensemen, well, they can't protect Matt Dumba anymore because they have to protect Brian Cedar with the no move. They have to protect Jared Spurgeon with the no move. And now they have to protect Jonas Brodin with the no move. So the only way the wild could protect Matt Dumba at this point is if they went with just protecting the eight guys, eight guys, any position, are they willing to do that? I don't know. So, you know, long story short, like, yeah, Matt Dumba is going to continue to be on the block moving forward, largely because of the contracts the Wild doled out this offseason. We'll see what comes of it, but I would expect his name to be, you know, right in the thick of rumors moving forward. Where do you think the ultimate goal is for Bill Guerin this season? Is it kind of cup or bust? Is it ultimately a transition year? And do you think they will look to make any acquisitions ahead of the trade deadline? I don't think it's cup or bust. I think right now, like Bill Guerin was very upfront in saying, I think this is a playoff team, but 
I think, like, what else are you supposed to say if you're the DM of a team? Like, are you supposed to say, like, yeah, this team stinks. They're not going to make playoffs. Like, <laughs> he's saying the right things in the offseason. I think they have exceeded his expectations. So I think anything moving forward, I think if you make the playoffs and you can maybe win around or, you know, kind of do what, like, the Vancouver Canucks did last year. They beat the Wild in the, in the qualifying series, and they became, like, kind of this, like, fun, darling team. And I know they haven't followed it up this year. But, like, if you could do something like that and prove that, like, you're here and you're going to be here for a while, like, I think that's enough. I don't think Bill Guerin thinks this team is, like, this is our window. We have to win now. And because of that, I don't think he's going to trade assets to get something, you know, on the, you know, the trade market. I don't think he's, he's looking for a rental player. I think he's looking long-term with this team. If he can get someone at the trade deadline that fits into the future of the team and isn't just a rental guy you're going to lose in the offseason, I think he'll do it. I don't think he's giving up. We have, he has two first-round picks this year. I don't think he's giving up those picks for someone that he's renting for three months because I don't think the Wild are quite there yet. And I think deep down, Bill Guerin knows the Wild aren't quite there yet. I think the you know the 5-1 loss followed by a 6-0 loss at Colorado Avalanche three or four days ago you know, over the weekend, I think that was pretty sobering. Like, okay, we got some room to go. We're pretty good, but are we a cup contender? Not yet. So I think as long as the Wild continue to play well, make the playoffs, and prove that they are someone who, one, you don't want to play against because they're kind of dangerous, but two, have the pieces in place to be a threat down the road, I think that's enough for Bill Guerin. And I think right now, if the season just ended, if we lost the rest of the season, the Wild will have done enough to like prove to Bill Guerin, like, okay, we're going in the right direction. Well, we got uh, one more for here before we let you go, and it's something we ask all of our guests. What do you think of the Minnesota Wild reverse retro jerseys? I love them. I think that they should just switch to that those should be their all-time jerseys, right? Or their full-time jerseys. They're awesome. Like, I think fans in here have been waiting for a long time in Minnesota to see those North Star colors back on the ice. You're not going to get the North Star logo, but you can still have the North Star colors, and I think that's fun. I, I don't know if they'll actually commit to doing that jersey full-time, but, man, those things are beautiful. I like them. Some of them have been pretty ugly across the league, but the, I think the Wilds are one of the best. Um, yeah, I, I think they're great, and I can't say anything bad about them. I agree. I think they're definitely in the upper echelon of the uh, the, the reverse retro collection. So, uh, Dana, thank you very much for taking time every day to come talk to us and uh, stay safe out there. No problem, guys. Anytime. Yep. Talk to you soon, Dane. All right, everybody. That was uh, Dane Mizutani. <laughs> I closed my note shade. Uh, Minnesota <laughs> Wild. I'm going to talk about a good team. Now we're going to talk about a team that's not so good. Philadelphia Flyers lost again last night. This time to the New Jersey Devils. The final score was 4-3, uh, but the vast majority of the game was 4-1. They pulled a Dave Haxtell and played out of their minds for the last five minutes of the game and then got two back, but it couldn't quite complete the comeback. We are... Spoiler alert, everybody. This episode comes out on Thursday, but as of right now, it's 12.39 p.m. on a Wednesday, so we're about 20 minutes away from the Chuck Fletcher presser, and it's going to be some groundbreaking news, I'm sure. But uh, I don't know what you do anymore. We we talked and ranted about it yesterday. I've been ranting about this bullshit team for you know a full week now since they got uh, destroyed at the hands of the Rangers last week. I don't know what more I can say. I I don't know. There there's no light I can shed. There's no snarky comments. There's no uh, there's nothing I can bring to the table that can make any of this better. Uh, the Fletch, uh, Fletcher Presser, which you're going to be a part of. Um, I'm, I can. We don't even need to listen to it. I can guarantee you I know what he's going to say. Well, we like our team, and we're a bit disappointed right now, but we think this group can still win, and we're going to look for deals at the trade deadline, but only if it makes sense, and we're going to go for it. It's like, it's all going to be just fucking lip service, right? There's not going to be any kind of legitimate service here. He's not going to come out and be like, God, this team blows fat cock, you know? We're just not going to hear that from the guy. So... I don't know. 
I, I don't know what to say. If you have anything you want to say and carry a discussion, you're all gladly join. But I don't know where to start. Well, it's look, we we've come on here. Well, you and I have been pretty much voicing our concerns since October. Yeah. So I feel like for us, it's not as extreme explosions. It's more just like confirming. But as this has gone on, like we came on here yesterday and said we still both think that they're going to sneak into the playoffs. And ultimately, I still think that that's a possibility. But it's even worse than what I foresaw. Like, I didn't expect it to go this sideways. I thought they would just be kind of like what Dane mentioned about Chuck Fletcher's wild, just like an everyday playoff team. But this is like Dave Haxtell circa 2019. Or 2018, rather. Right before he got canned. And it's just, it's alarming. But at the the same time, like, how many times can we come on here and say the same things about the same players with no moves? And it's just, nothing's happening. Like, nothing. Like, nothing is changing. And I know Fletcher is going to speak in about 20 minutes at the time of this recording and I'm going to be involved in that press conference. But like, w- like you said, like, what do you, what are we expecting him to say? He's basically just going to try and take the bullets to try and deflect the attention away from AV and the players and this, that, and the other thing. And I, but it's almost like you can't even like wave Eric Gustafson. You can't even like, I don't know, like fire like Ian LaPerriere or Michelle Terrier. You can't, you can't do anything. Just to make some, like, I'm not expecting them to trade Claude Giroux for whoever in the middle of a, of a pandemic season when there's all these financial restrictions and implications and quarantine if you're dealing with a Canadian club, this, that, and the other thing. But it's just nothing. It's just radio silence. And it's it's just concerning. It's very, very concerning. And look, I mean, I've said it before, I'll say it again, I'm not going to f- pass full judgment on Chuck Fletcher until the end of the offseason when he has a full legitimate offseason to work with. But I mean, it just seems that with each passing day and each passing loss and more and more disheartening efforts, it's like this thing it just keeps getting farther and farther gone from recovery. It's just every, every night they go out there, it's kind of like, all right, how badly are they going to get blown out of the water tonight? You know, that's 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 what I think before every time I turn a game on over the last couple of weeks. It's like, oh, boy, here we go. You know, and a lot of the things you said about Fletcher were stuff that I more or less already knew. But hearing it confirmed some uh, from somebody that's in the middle of it, you know, he's over caring, which leads to stagnation. And they're a playoff team, but never a contender. And he just couldn't quite get him over the hump. And it's like, yeah, I feel all that already here, you know, and uh, I don't know. I, like you said, I don't know what you can do at this point in time to do any kind of shake-up. But, like, for Christ's sake, at least fire one of the assistant coaches just to prove you give a shit, you know? Appease the bloodlust of the fans. You know, Michelle Terrian's head on a platter would be a whole lot better than doing nothing right now in terms of trying to keep the natives from getting too restless. I don't know. I, I think they're... Quite frankly, lucky there's only a couple thousand fans in the building. Because that building was open up to the public, they'd be fucking empty every night because nobody wanted to go watch this team. They can only squeeze in three thousand people or whatever it is uh, with, with the with the restrictions. So I don't know. I'm just I, I I've never felt this way as a fan about the Flyers in my whole life. Like when the Dave Haxtell thing happened, 2018-19, in you know October, November, and early December, like that was off the rails. But you knew it was going to end real soon, right? They didn't have a choice but to fire Ron Hextall and Dave Hextall. But I don't feel that way right now. You just hired these idiots, you know, a year and a half, two years ago. You can't get rid of everybody again. You know, is what's the, you know what's Dave Scott going to do? Clean house? Like, you can fire Fletcher and AV and more fucking power to you. I don't particularly care at this point. But it's not going to do anything until you get rid of the players. But you can't move the players because we're in a fucking pandemic and the salary cap's flat for the rest of fucking time. And it's just, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. I, they're going to go out there. That was the fucking devils they lost to last night. Their next four games, they have a back-to-back against the Rangers and then two against the Sabres next week. The Rangers, the same team they just lost 9 nothing to last week. 
had to play them twice and the Sabres twice, you know, which they have been beating them uh, pretty reasonably throughout the year. But I don't know if I trust even that anymore. I just well, don't know. Well, so is everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I've never felt this low before as a fan ever. But I put a tweet out last night. And you bring up, you know, the Hextall and Hackstall thing. Like, there was always kind of, like, that lingering hope. Like, okay, well, Holmgren's still there. Clark is still there. Like, these guys eventually are just going to have enough. And eventually it happened. But now, Homer's gone. Clark's gone. Ed Snyder's dead. It's literally Chuck Fletcher's team. And the only guy that can step in is Dave Scott. And... I'm not going to speak out of turn here. I don't know Dave Scott. never had a conversation with him. But it doesn't seem like he's too, you know, passionate about the product on the ice. And, I mean, in it seems like making money is first and foremost for them. And I guess maybe if they don't make the playoffs, that affects their pockets financially. But, I mean, there's no more, and I know everyone uses those terms like, ho oh, oh, old hockey men, which doesn't even fucking make sense. But there really is no hockey men left in this organization. There's no one who has, like, a tie to the team. You know, at least with Holmgren, yeah, he made mistakes, but he loved the team and he bled orange and black and he wanted to win. The same thing can be said for Bobby Clark. Ed Snyder, obviously, more so than anyone else. Now you have a guy, Chuck Fletcher, who has no ties to the team. And there's no one above him but a corporate stooge in Dave Scott, who's a Comcast guy. So there is really no, there's no optimism to be had here, in my opinion, unless Chuck Fletcher shows that he cares about the online product. But as you've brought up in the past, as Dane just alluded to when we had him on, his track record doesn't really speak volumes to that. You know, he'll ice a competitive team and he seems like a great guy, but is he going to be the guy to get that team over the hump? And I don't know, man. It's a corporately run team now. They have a guy that I think is following some marching orders. It doesn't seem like he has a lot of pressure from higher ups. And like I've said before, by higher ups, that literally means Dave Scott. Like, as far as the hockey ops department goes, there's no one above Chuck Fletcher. And it's just kind of like, this is what this team is now. It's a shell of its former self. There's no identity. And that's why when people talk about firing AV or, you know, doing one of these little minute moves in the grand scheme of things, I'm just like, to be quite honest, like, what's it going to change? Well... Now that you mentioned change, we have some breaking news to report on the Flyers' front. They just signed Max Willman to a two-year, two-way contract! Yay! The fucking turnaround is on! Woo! Who the fuck could possibly care? Who the fuck is Max Willman? Max Willman was a guy that was signed for uh, in the AHL. He was playing with the Royals last season and got called up at the Phantoms, has been doing pretty well for them this year. Now he's officially under NHL contract instead of AHL contract. The turnaround is on! You know what? You actually had me for a second. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, they fired someone, and then you fucking lay up that nonsense. <laughs> Philadelphia Flyers, official! And I'm like, oh boy, they did something! And then I read it, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? How do they do these things with a straight face? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know you the know social media guy's just laughing his ass off right now. And the first person I see comment on it says thank you in like capital letters and she's being dead serious. Like I but I I, I don't Oh, they load Alex Lyon to the taxi squad. Felix Armstrong is back up. Third string goalie's fixed. Minor improvements, baby. It's comical. It's comical at this point. Then, like, it's like you've said in the past, but it's like this has gone so bad that now even, like, the holier-than-now people are coming around. Oh, yeah. Most of them are uh, not so positive anymore now, are they? <laughs> They're just but, as like, dirty as you and I. But let me ask you, man. Like, when we were being, quote-unquote, negative before the season started, like... Did you foresee it being this bad? No, hell no, not this bad. I was expecting a mediocre group 
you know, more or less what we saw during the playoffs last year, where they were fine, but they couldn't beat anybody, you know, of legitimate contention. I was not expecting them to look like the fucking Buffalo Sabres for most of the season, you know. And and or, uh, this is something like, even earlier in the year when they were winning games, oh, they were 11-1-1 against teams not named the Bruins, you know. Even during that stretch, it's like, they were playing some shitty hockey, but they just so happened to pull out the W at the end of the day, you know. And I said, once that magic disappears, what's going to happen? This is going to happen. You're playing some shitty hockey. You're not scoring any goals. Thus, the morale is dropping, and you're playing even shittier hockey, right? And that's just kind of where they're at right now. Is just I don't I don't even know how you get out of this. You know, you have a layup here against the Buffalo Sabers, which is what everybody said last time they played the Sabers back to back in that weekend where they shut them out twice, like a month ago. You know, oh, well, we can get our mojo back playing the Buffalo Sabers. Yeah, that worked out well last time. This tailspin spart- uh, started after you played the Sabers last time. So, I don't know, maybe they'll get some mojo back and some energy and everything will be fine and they'll turn it around and steal a playoff spot. It's worth noting that the Bruins haven't played in like a week and a half because of COVID and the Flyers still have not jumped them in the standings. (laughs) What are the games now? Oh, let's see here. Uh, where the hell is it Three games. They're two points behind, and yeah. they've played three more games. They were three points behind when the Bruins went down. They only got the OT win again, or the OT loss rather, against the Islanders. Uh, Bruins have twenty-eight games. Flyers have thirty-one. So not only are the Bruins ahead, now they've got multiple games in hand. Who knows how many they're going to accumulate between now and then? And they're still ahead of them in the standings. So this, if the Bruins they legitimately even... may miss the playoffs this year. If the Bruins take half of those points, there's going to be a five-point difference with an even amount of games played. Yeah. The Flyers That's... are 12 points behind the first-place Islanders, 10 points behind the second-place Capitals, uh, six points behind the third-place Penguins, and still two points behind the Bruins, who now have three games in hand. That's not good. But now the they Rangers could legitimately right miss the playoffs this year. That's 32 the... points for the Rangers. <laughs> What the fuck? Worth noting, the Sabres have 18, so they're closing in, too, if they really wanted to. <sighs> the hell the Devils could pass them? Devils have 28. It's, um... Honestly, man, <laughs> it's... It's it's sad. Oh, I just want to laugh so I don't have to cry. <sighs> but, like, it's like, even, like, you know, now this Ryan Ellis thing came up. That maybe now the Preds have changed their mind, and and it's funny. Like I say that they'd probably take Travis Connect and Travis Sanheim. People are just like, no, not worth nope, it. No, can't like, do it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Just like, and then like you know, like some guy, I think it was Brandon Summerman, is just like, I think we should do a package centered around Wyatt Wiley, um, Igor Zamula, and a first round pick. I'm just like. What? I'm not even going to begin to dissect that. For, for because, Ellis? What the fuck? Yeah. Maybe for Brandon Montour, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, anyway, Ellis. I'm not even going to get into that, but oh, it's... Oh, God. But it, it's still... stand. And I've said this. I said this yesterday. I said it last week. Like, even if you bring in a Ryan Ellis, and even if you trade Travis Konechny for Anthony Manta, like, even with those acquisitions that on paper, on the ice, are good moves... Are they going to change anything in the grand scheme of things as long as this core is still here? No. How they can get Ellis and that Coleman, I'm not sure anything would overly change. It would certainly help. They need all the goddamn superstars they can get on that blue line. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what you do. I don't know how you even begin to start fixing this team besides just throw a stick of dynamite in there and blow them all up and start again. Well, that's that's the whole thing. Like, it's I don't know how long you have. It seems like right now, bar and again, we can't fully speak to this because we're not in the room, and we're gonna have Anthony Sanfilippo on from Crossing Broad next week, and he'll be able to kind of maybe shed some light and fill in the gaps to where we can't because he is so close to the team and he's worked with the team before and he knows a lot of these players personally. But it seems as though that you're delaying the inevitable that this team just needs a major facelift. And it's not about just reinforce reinforcing the pre-existing core. It seems like the core and the faces of this team, it's like, 
I was talking to someone last night and they were just like, you know, yeah, but Giroud's still good and, you know, Couturier's still good. I'm just like, that's true. It's 100% true. But I think you have to get to a point where when you think about the Philadelphia Flyers, you don't automatically think like, oh, yeah, Giroud, Voracek, Couturier. You have to get to a point where you think Farabee, Provorov, and Hart. And the only way that you mentioned the same thing. You know, you have to start What's thinking. About, Dane just mentioned the same thing about the Wild. This is Kaprizov's team. This is no longer Zach Parise's team. You know, you have to get to that point where this is Joel Farabee's team and not Claude Giroux's team. And I think that we've seen it in a lot of these full-scale rebuilds before. Like, I've talked about the Leafs, how they did that. You you saw what they did with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like, it's just like, I mean, you do have some instances where you hold on to those core pieces, like, let's say in in uh, Los Angeles with Brown and Kopitar and Doughty, but they won a Stanley Cup. Those guys have proven to be winners, so you can't even draw those comparables either. And, I mean, you can kind of look to the Calgary Flames of hanging on to that that pre-existing core in Goudreau and Sean Monaghan and, to a lesser extent, Michael Backlund while trying to simultaneously usher in new faces of the team of Elias Lindholm and Matthew Kachuk, and it really hasn't worked out for them too. And, look, I mean... Honestly, I just like even the Winnipeg Jets, like, you know, their captain was Andrew Ladd. You had Dustin Bufflin, like the old guard of that team. And you, okay, they hung on to Blake Wheeler, but then you you had Shifley come in, Connor come in, Ehlers come in, Line A, who now got swapped out for Dubois. But like, I just don't know how many more times you could go back to bat with this group of players. I don't know, but uh, we'll wrap it up here. You got to get off so you can go get fucked in the ear by comcast oh yeah i'm really excited (laughs) at dan the flyer van at brotherly puck at brotherly underscore pod uh one more show this week on friday mike and manny will be back get their perspective on this complete shit show they have not been on in a couple weeks now so i'm sure they'll they'll have a lot to uh, unload upon so uh mike's always a great listen mike's good and so is Manny, for what it's worth. Manny, I know you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I did I guess it's just because I hear from Manny a lot more. <laughs> Mike kind of just lingers in the weeds. <laughs> Fucking Anthony went through Twitter where I choked to death. <laughs> okay, get that COVID checked out, man. Um, oh, at at Adamarco25, I hope you survive this. Oh, I just choked to death on my spit here right before we wrapped up. All right, everybody. Way to, way to wrap it up. Uh, until next time, goodbye and good night. Yeah! Yeah!